almost at the end of our journey through the book of Revelation. We've seen John talking about his time period and his life, what was going on. Uh, then he talked about the church age. We looked at those seven letters to the different churches, how they were to seven physical churches at that time. And also speaks of the church period and the different ages and seasons throughout church history. Then we saw the great tribulation, these seven years where the Holy Spirit, God's people, all of these different changes taking place and the whole planet is being led and fueled by the enemy and the Antichrist. And then at the end of all that, in Revelation 21, we saw how God created a new heaven and a new earth, that all things were made new. And we begin looking at what eternity is going to look like for us. What eternity is going to look like for those who are his sons and daughters. A quick quote before we read uh, verses 1 through 6. It's by D.L. Moody. And he says, Someday you'll read in the paper that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old tentment into a house that is immortal. And again, this is the perspective that we as Christians should have. We have this hope within us. This hope within us purifies us. We're going to look at that scripture later on. But we need to know that this world is not our home. And as we're faced with decisions, as we're making our choices, as we're putting what's most important before us, we need to be heavenly minded. We can't be so short-sighted. So short-sighted and just being fueled by our emotions, our feelings, what I feel like. We need to be fueled with a mindset into heaven. And what does this decision today, how will it affect all of eternity? This decision in my walk, in my relationship, in my marriage, in my parenting, in my friendship, in school, in job, in work. How will this affect my eternity? We need to be asking ourselves this more and more. But here in Revelation 22, we'll read verse 1 through 6 and then start looking at it. It tells us, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God, and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Throughout chapter 21, we began looking at what this new city looks like, this city Jerusalem, this perfect cube, right, this giant city. You could go basically more than three quarters of the United States. And now as John begins to look at the city more and more in depth, we're given more insight into the layout of the city here. In verse 1, it says that he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. We know that water is necessary for any society. Water is necessary for any city. Water is necessary for life itself. Perhaps going through some of the hurricanes, you've quickly realized water is even more important than electricity in Miami, right? Even with the humidity, even with the heat, wanting the AC, right? I get it. I understand it, right? But to be able to drink water, to be able to bathe, to shower, to cook water, it's necessary for life itself. In Psalm 46, verse 4 and 5, Psalmist tells us that there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. And God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. 
God shall help her just at the break of dawn. And here, John sees the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. And from the throne itself, there's this pure river of water, of life, and it's clear as crystal. Again, in Miami, there's many canals. I don't know if we could say any of them are pure or any of them are clear as crystal, right? In Miami, we have one main river, right? The Miami River. I don't think anyone would call it pure, right? Or a water of life. Talk to some police officers, they would tell you it's the water of death, that that's what they find there oftentimes in the Miami River. But this river here, uh, one commentator tells us, it's to let us know that in heaven there shall be no want of anything that can make the saints happy. There's going to be no, there's going to be nothing missing. Like, man, if we just had this, right? You have a great meal, an incredible meal, and then you say, man, if we just had a great dessert, right? And you have a great dessert, man, if we just had a great coffee, right? Whatever the case may be. And in heaven, there's going to be no want of anything because God is there. Jesus Christ is there. We're there in our full bodies, our full forms, and there'll be nothing missing. Some people, they're often looking back at life at a happier time period. Some of us, we know those people, they always talk about high school, right? And in high school, they were the quarterback of the football team, right? And life was better then. They were the prom queen and life was better then. Uh, for some parents, we think about, right, when our kids were little and we could tell them what to do and how life was better then, right? Remember the good old days? Remember the good old days? There'll be none of that in heaven. And nothing on earth will be able to compare with heaven. And so this river, proceeding from the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb, will be pure and as clear as crystal. Whatever is the most beautiful river or creek or brook you've seen, whether in Tennessee or Maine, Colorado, wherever your favorite and most beautiful riverbed is, it will be nothing in comparison to heaven. Anything coming from God himself can only be pure and life-giving. Right? With him we have a life and that abundantly. There in verse 2, the layout of this eternal city tells us in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and it's interesting. In the beginning of time and in the beginning of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, we see here the tree of life, and at the end of the Bible, at the end of time, and for all of eternity, we will one day see the tree of life once again. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 through 24, this is after Adam and Eve have sinned. It tells us, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. To know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed the cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden. And a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. You see, God did not want mankind to live eternally in our sinful state. So God, he sends Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. And then there he places a cherubim with a fiery flaming sword blocking anyone from entering the Garden of Eden again. God desires for us to live eternally in a perfect state, not in a sinful state. And that's why he here blocks the Garden of Eden. And blocks the tree of life. And John is here doing his best to describe to us what eternity will look like. And we've never seen eternity before, right? We've never seen what heaven's going to look like. When someone ever writes a book, I died, I saw heaven and came back. Don't read that book, right? Read the Bible. The Bible tells us what heaven is like. John is doing his best to describe to us this eternal city with its street, the river of life, and the tree of life all happening at the same time. And even in studying, I still can't fully understand it. But I'm okay with that, right? 
Any scuba divers here? Anybody PADI certified, right? Anybody, just a handful of us? I got my certification. I haven't gone diving ever since, right? But how would you describe a living coral reef to someone that has never dived before, right? Someone that's never watched National Geographic. Someone that's never seen Finding Nemo or Finding Dory, right? <laughs> how would you describe to them what it's like to go underwater and see all of this coral reef, this life form, all of the colors, all of the fish, all of the life flowing there in an ocean, in a different place, some place that feels like a different planet. How would you describe it to someone who maybe grew up in Kansas their whole life and never had a TV, right? It's difficult. And here John is doing his best to describe to us what eternity is going to look like to a bunch of people that have never seen eternity ever in our lives, right? So we do our best to try to understand it. Hope everything's okay back there, right? Some suggest a large street, right? Here he told us that there's a street and the river of life is on either side and the tree of life is on either side. So perhaps there's the river of life going down the center avenue there. There's streets on either side and on either sides of the street. There's these trees lined up that each of these trees are of the same kind. Multiple trees of life along the pathway of this street created or planted by Christ himself building these mansions for us. We could think of Holland or Venice, perhaps, right? The canal down the middle, except it's going to be a lot cleaner, right? Crystal clear and pure. The streets on either side and trees on either side. Another idea, another suggestion is if you search largest organisms on earth, you'll find something that's called the trembling giant, which is a large colony of quaking aspen trees that is 108 acres of a single living organism. It's an entire forest, an 108-acre forest that all comes from a single root system. You see all the different treetops, but it's all part of the same root system. So perhaps this tree of life, its root system is all beneath this eternal city, and now it's teeming with life and different trees of life all throughout the city. But what we should be concerned about the most isn't what the tree is going to look like or what the city is going to look like, right? What we should be consumed with thinking about is the fact that life and fellowship with God will finally be restored. It will no longer have to be us disciplining ourselves to read our Bible and be in stillness and quietness in our busy lives. It will no longer be every time we sit down to finally read, our neighbors start playing music, there's an accident outside and our phones start ringing. We'll be able to sit down in the presence of God and have no distraction, no sin in us wanting us to do something different. This is what we should focus and think about in heaven. That one day we'll have access to the tree of life once again, like Adam and Eve. We'll be able to go for those strolls, walking with God in the cool of the day, like Adam and Eve did. This is what should continue to stir up within our hearts and our minds. At the end of verse 2, it tells us that each tree is yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This is one of my son's favorite facts about heaven is that the tree of life is yielding a different fruit each month. So whether you like mangoes, one month is mangoes, right? Next month is apples, next month is pear, whatever your favorite fruit is, right? Each tree is bearing a different fruit each month. It tells us here that the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The word healing here in the Greek is where we get our word therapeutic from. That the, tr the leaves of the tree of life are health-giving. And again, this all flows from the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. And how God is the life, He's the help, He's the health and the happiness of the saints for all of eternity. And the same is true for us today on this side of heaven. You're looking for life. You're looking for happiness. You're looking for health. You're looking for joy. It can only come from God and fellowship with him. Now again, does this make perfect sense for us? What this city is going to look like? To me, it still doesn't make perfect sense, right? Should this stop us from dreaming about heaven? 
Should this stop us from desiring to one day be here in this blessed place, even though there's no more sea or ocean, right? Should that stop us from wanting to be here? Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr., he's credited with the quote, Some people are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. I don't know if you've ever heard that quote before. Anybody ever hear that quote before? After that, theologian Johnny Cash copied the quote, right? And he added it to his song, No Earthly Good. So is Johnny Cash and Oliver Wendell Holmes, are they speaking the truth? Are they right in their assessment? That if we become so focused on heaven, we will become of no earthly good? Let's see what scripture has to say about it. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 18. Paul tells us, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul's telling us our focus ought to be not on the things that we see right here in front of us. Our focus should be on the things which are eternal, the things that are going to last forever. In Colossians chapter 3, he puts it very simple for us. He tells us, set your mind on things above and not on the things on the earth. What is your mind on? What's your mind been on today? What has your focus been on this week? Have you been thinking about heaven? Have you been thinking about what is it going to be like to have our whole entire life's work judged by Jesus Christ? Have we thought about what is it going to be like to have my every word, every idle word, every aimless word is one day going to be judged by Jesus Christ? Have we thought about that today? Biblically, it would seem that the more we focus on heaven, the more of value we are here on earth. The more we're focused on heaven, the more we're thinking of heaven, the more value we can bring here on earth. And that the more we love this earth, the more we focus on this earth, the less value we are here on earth. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, is the warning here. John tells us, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world, it's passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Family, where's your focus on? Is your focus just here on earth? Right? Oftentimes parents will tell their kids, get your head out of the clouds, right? Come down. Come down to earth. Focus what's going on here on earth. We have to be careful with that. Certain aspects totally. They need to know how to do practical things in life. But sometimes we rip away from them their heavenly focus and we bombard them with the cares of this world. I believe Jesus, we can all agree with, that he did a lot of change here on earth, right? 33 years of life, and yet he changed the world upside down. No one has had a greater impact on planet earth than Jesus Christ and just 33 years living on earth. His mindset in John chapter 4 verse 34, he tells us, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That was the mindset of Jesus Christ. And the more our mindset is to do the will of him who sent us, the more of earthly good we will be. The people helping out after the hurricane, the people creating hospitals, the people creating organizations to truly help people, more often than not, it's Christians doing so. And the more our mindset is on heaven, and not just these earthly and carnal things, the more good we can do here on earth. Charles Spurgeon also says, we do not suppose that a man is shooting at a target if he does not look that way. Nor can we imagine that a man's ambition is fixed on heaven if he has no heavenward thoughts or aspirations. What are your thoughts of heaven? What are you aspiring to? If heaven has not crossed your mind in a long, long time, perhaps that's not your aim whatsoever. That's not your goal whatsoever. And there's only two resting places for all of eternity. It's either heaven or hell. And if our mindset, if our ambition, if our thoughts are not on heaven, they can only be on hell. 
That's the way scripture works. It's a warning to us. Where is our mindset on? Go back to Revelation 22 and there in verse 3. It tells us, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. The presence of God and Jesus Christ are here in heaven and here in eternity, and now the curse is finally done away with. We can enjoy full fellowship with God just like Adam and Eve did. In Genesis chapter 3, if you're quick, you could turn there. If not, you could stay put. We keep looking at the beginning of the Word of God and the end of the Word of God, the beginning of time and the end of time here. And here in Genesis chapter 3, the consequences for Adam and Eve's sin were as follows. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, to the woman... He said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Again, this curse, it's gone. It's done away with. No more thorns and thistles, no more pain, no more crying. No more separation from God. The curse is done away with. Right? For some of us, our greatest fear, our greatest thorn in our side is living in Miami and being prone to sweatiness. Right? That curse is done away with. You don't have to worry about second pairs of clothes, right? Or anything like that. Which deodorant you're wearing. You don't have to worry about any of that in heaven, right? We don't have to worry about working and just sweat and difficulty and more difficulty. We get to serve the Lord our God for all of eternity, but it will be so different. The pain and the difficulties, the rut of working, it's all gone. The pain and the difficulty of work, it's all gone. His servants shall serve him, and we will serve him for all of eternity. Here in verse 3, this word servants is literally slaves. His slaves shall serve him. It's a great question for us to ask ourselves this morning. Are we slaves of Jesus Christ? Are you a slave of Jesus Christ here this morning? You see, Romans chapter 6 puts it plainly. We can only be slaves to sin or slaves to Jesus Christ. We are only slaves of darkness or slaves of the light. That's our only decision here. So if we are not slaves today... For Jesus Christ and belonging to Jesus Christ, what makes us think that we will be slaves with him in heaven for all of eternity? We need to check ourselves, right? We need to pay attention to our lives. If there's no love for God today, if there's no desire to spend time with him today, what makes us expect that we're going to spend time with him in heaven for all of eternity? If we don't deny our lives today, if we're not picking up our cross today and following him, if we aren't like Paul saying, my life is dead and done, and now it's Jesus Christ living in me and through me, how dare we expect heaven? Are you a servant to Jesus Christ? Are you his slave? We get to serve him for all of eternity. And again, it's a blessing. We go from being a slave to sin We can't be freed from it. We're stuck with it. He comes and he frees us, and now we become slaves of Jesus Christ. Wish we had time to go through the whole study on this, but he doesn't just leave us as slaves. He doesn't just leave us as servants, and for the rest of time, he's just telling us what to do, and we're his waiter, we're his waitress, right, and we just clean his clothes for him. No, he leaves us, we're there as slaves, and then he adopts us as sons and daughters. And we're not lesser sons and daughters, He doesn't say, hey, you go live in the attic and I'll put food up there for you. He doesn't say, hey, you live in the back in the pool house and I'll come visit you every once in a while. 
No, he brings us into the family of God and then he writes us into the will. How we become heirs to the throne of God. This is the love of God. Are we his slaves today? And there will be nothing holding us back from serving him. It may be difficult for some of us to understand today, but there are people that wish they could serve God even more. There are people that wish, God, I wish I could serve you more. There are some within our own family that it is their sickness and their health that keeps them from serving God in a more consistent way. There are others that the season of life they're in, their spouse divorced them and now they have to take care of the children more. A newborn baby, a new business, trying to get out of debt. Perhaps the season that they're in has kept them from serving God with the heart and the desire that they have. Perhaps previous sins, difficult situations that they're in today are keeping them back from serving God with all of the hope and vigor and strength that they wish they could. But one day, nothing will hold us back. Be no more sickness, no more bad situations no more difficult seasons. We will live in perfection and be able to serve God and nothing will hold us back. Some people think of heaven as those weird cartoons, right? Each of us, we're given our own fluffy cloud. All of a sudden, we're becoming babies and diapers, right? We have wings and a harp and we just sit there staring at each other, playing all day long, right? In heaven, we're going to be serving Him. In heaven, there's still work to be done. One commentator says, heaven is not a place of indolent leisure, but a place where service is done centering on God. We'll be serving Him forever, and that service will be focused on Him. What will we be doing? I have no clue. I have no clue what we're going to be doing. Things are going to be perfect. There's no pain. There's no trial. He's ruling and reigning. What are we going to be doing? I don't know. But if we love Him, if we care about Him, that's not going to matter too much, to matter much to us because he's there. He's there. You remember when you were deeply in love with someone, right? And you were dating them. Hey, where do you want to go? Oh, let's just drive for three hours. Okay, let's go, right? <laughs> Why would you do that? Because you were in love with them. Didn't care what you were doing, where you were going. All that mattered is that you were spending time with them. Is that our heart? Is that our mindset? When it comes to the things of God. In verse 4 it tells us that they shall see his face. And his name shall be written on their foreheads. Again far greater than having 666 or the mark of the beast on their foreheads. They will have the name of God and of Jesus Christ on their foreheads. We will belong to him for all of eternity. I don't know if you've ever lent something out to someone and you write your name in there just in case they forget it belongs to you, right? You lend a book to someone so you write your name and address in there, right? Take a picture of yourself and put it there so they give you the book back, right? Maybe it's your tools. Maybe it's something else you lend to someone and you write your name on there. If you have a toddler and you drop them off at daycare or one of the conferences we go to, you have to label everything that belongs to them. So their book bag, their jacket, their shirt, their shorts, each sock, you got to put their name on it, right? Everything has to have their name on it. And here God will write his seal upon us. His name will be written on us and we will belong to him for all of eternity. Again, the relationship we'll have with God, the oneness we'll have with him. And ever since the fall, man's fellowship with God has drastically changed. Again, we've talked about it now, how we have to labor to enter into that rest. Devotional time with God, spending time with God. We don't just wake up and magically flow into the perfect position, right? To read and spend time with God. There's work and labor and discipline to get there. Adam used to go for walks with God in the cool of the day, but ever since sin entered the picture, our sinful nature prevents us from spending time with this perfect God and approaching Him in His perfect power and place and position and not die and perish. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, Moses constantly wanted more of God. Again, true believers, we should always want more of God. Moses desired to see God more, have more of him, be more with him. And he gets to the point where he says, God, I want to see your face. 
God, I want to see you face to face. But there God answers him. In Exodus 33, verse 20, God tells Moses, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by, that I will put you on the cleft of the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. You see, God allowed Moses to see his glory, but Moses, even though he had such a tight oneness and relationship with God, he still couldn't see the face of God. If not, he would die. This is the instance where when Moses comes back from the mountain, he's literally glowing, right? And he has to cover his face. But one day, this will all be different. One day, we will be able to see him face to face. Jesus promises us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. You see, Jesus, he doesn't put it on our actions. Jesus doesn't put it on our religion. He doesn't put it on our religiosity. He doesn't put it on our empty words. Christ puts it on our heart. Who we are, our character. Are we pure of heart? Are we pure of character? When we're talking with people, when we're praying with people, when we're serving, is it with pure intentions? A pure heart, a pure character, or are there other motives there? If we are those who are pure in heart, we shall see God. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians quickly. And in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Corinthians 13, Paul speaks about the drastic change that the sons and daughters of God will one day go through. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53 It tells us, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. You see, death is just the doorway into the mansions that Christ has created for his sons and daughters. We go through that, va- that, sh- that valley of the shadow of death, but on the other side of that shadow, it's the perfection of heaven and eternity. That's the promise for us that this co- corruptible body will one day put on incorruption, right? Depending on your age here, right? Your health, perhaps you're saying, yeah, this thing is super corrupted, right? This thing is falling apart. It's failing me. But one day we will put on incorruption. One day we will put on immortality. We'll be able to know what our body was meant for, our senses were meant for, what eyes were meant for, seeing Him face to face. And it's only when we're given these new bodies that then in 1 Corinthians 13, two chapters to the left there, it tells us in verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Then there in verse 12, it tells us, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And family, what will it be like to see God face to face? What will it be like? I don't know, what's the longest time period you've gone from the person you love and you haven't seen their face? Modern technology sort of robs us of that, right? FaceTiming with people all day, all the time, right? But what was the longest time period you went without seeing someone face-to-face? Someone that you love. When you don't love them, you like not seeing them face-to-face, right? But when you love them and you care about them, right, you're counting the minutes, the seconds, the days. I remember the first trip Amanda and I had separate from each other after getting married. We literally sent pictures of our toothbrushes by themselves, right, in the bathroom, right? (laughs) I miss you. I miss you. Can't wait to see you again. We still do that. We still miss each other. But what's the longest time you've gone without seeing someone you love? 
You hear these stories, right? People lost at sea for days or weeks. People trapped in caverns for days or weeks. And what was it like for their family members to see them and meet them face to face once again? I don't know if you've gone a week or a month, a year without seeing the person you love. What will it be like to see God face to face? We think of our service men and women in the military having to be separated from their spouses and their families and the videos we see of them seeing each other, right? The reunions and everybody's crying, seeing these little kids so excited to see their dad or mom once again. What will it be like to see God face to face? The one that created us. The one that knit us together in our mother's womb. The one that kept us alive to that point where we can hear that still small voice calling us to him. The one that has shown us so much grace and love and mercy. The one that has sent his only begotten son to die for us. What will it be like to see him face to face? What joy and emotion will we feel when we see him and meet him face to face? And what joy and emotion is stirring in your heart? Is there any hope for heaven within you? Is there any desire to see him face to face? Because if that desire, if that emotion is not there, then friend, do you have a relationship with him? Because a husband and wife that love each other, that haven't seen each other, there is that desire to meet each other once again. If there's no desire within you to say thanks, if there's no desire within you to see him face to face, then I encourage you to pray and cry out to him. This morning, Charles Spurgeon says this will be the greatest glory of heaven to know God and to know Jesus more intimately and wonderfully than we ever could here on earth. It is the chief blessing of heaven. It is the cream of heaven. It is the heaven of heaven that the saints shall there see Jesus. Again, we'll get to know him in a new way. In a way that all of our study in scripture, all of our theology, all of our books can't even come close to seeing. Spurgeon in another quote, he says, The babe in Christ admitted to heaven discovers more of Christ in a single hour than is known by all the divines of the assemblies of the churches on earth. Again, a baby that passes from this life to the next and is there in heaven for one hour knows more than every theologian that has ever walked this earth, right? We'll get to see him face to face and know him in a more intimate and in a more deep way. Back to Revelation 22 verse 5 tells us that there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. No more night. No more night and all the sketchy things that happen at night, right? I don't know if your parents ever told you, hey, nothing good happens after, and then you fill in the blank what time they told you, right? Nothing good happens after 1 a.m., nothing good happens after 12, nothing good happens after 10, nothing good happens after the sun sets, right? All of the neighborhoods we don't want to be walking at night alone, right? All of that is done away with. There's no need for lamp. There's not even a need for the sun. For God himself radiates his light Throughout the entire city. We saw that back in chapter 21. It seems as if God has created the city that as his light emanates, it just radiates through all the gems, all the stones, through the crystal clear gold of the streets and of the walls of the city of heaven. God himself gives us his light and we shall reign with him forever and ever. Charles Swindoll, he gives us 12 no mores, the 12 no mores in heaven. There's no more sea, there's no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more thirst, no more wickedness, no more temple, no more night, no more closed gates, and no more curse, for the former things have all passed away. Again, the joy of heaven, do we have that hope within us? Had a rough week this week? Hey, the hope within us for heaven. Had a rough day today? Hey, the hope of heaven should encourage us and we should be able to be content in any state that we're in because this physical place isn't our home. The place we're reading about this morning, this is our home. And oftentimes we forget about that. 
We talked about being heavenly minded versus being earthly minded. When we're heavenly minded, the ups and downs of life don't matter, right? Because this world is not my home. I'm not spending eternity here. I'm going to do my best while I'm here. I want the best for my kids and my grandkids. I want that. But at the end of the day, this world is not my home and this world is not the home of my children either. Heaven, hopefully, will be their home. We will reign with Him forever and ever. The millennium gives us a small taste, right? Think of a thousand years being a small taste of what God and Jesus Christ ruling will look like. He's going to reign forever and ever. It's not like we're just going to have to see his face for a short time and after four years we're going to have to vote again who's going to rule and reign. It's not after 20 years or after 50 years, right, another king is going to come. No, he's going to rule and reign forever. We're going to be his slaves there at his side, ministering and serving him and spending time alongside of him. Psalm 23 is a very famous scripture for Christians and non-Christians alike. Whenever someone goes through seasons of difficulty, seasons of the unknown, seasons of unmet expectations, oftentimes we quote Psalm 23. But the last verse in the chapter seems to be the sweetest part. There in Psalm 23 verse 6 it tells us, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And yet it gets better, right? Because then the psalmist says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. We'll be there in the house of God forever. It's not a a shack in heaven, right? It's not an abandoned apartment building in heaven. It's not a, a tent or under a bridge for all of eternity. No, we will dwell in the house of God himself forever. For all of eternity. Psalm 16 verse 11 tells us, You show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Again, the only thing that can give us joy on this side of eternity and on the other side of death is being in the presence of God. That is the only thing that will bring joy to our hearts. Psalm 17, 15 tells us, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness, and I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. The only thing that can bring us joy, and the only thing that can bring us satisfaction, is being in the presence of God. And the only thing that will satisfy us is when we wake up one day in God's presence with God's likeness. That's the only thing that's going to satisfy us. We've spoken about this through our journey throughout the book of Revelation. That many men, many women have hit the pinnacle of their fields and they are still not satisfied. We talked about it, the, the whole midlife crisis, right? You have someone, they devote their whole life to a field. They get there, they're 40, 50 years old and now all of a sudden, right, this isn't all that it's cracked up to be. I'm not satisfied here, right? Maybe a toupee will satisfy me, right? Maybe the Corvette will satisfy me. Maybe this will satisfy me. Maybe another girl, another guy, this boat. And we look for satisfaction in all these other areas. Your first time going to Disney World, right? Maybe you're blown away at it all. But after a few times, i got to pay how much for parking, right? (laughs) The turkey leg costs how much? The seasonal pass went up how much, right? And there's no more satisfaction there. And that's in every field, that's in every dollar amount, every bank account, power, position, prestige. It does not satisfy us. The only thing that can satisfy a human is one day waking up in the presence of God. Waking up in His likeness. That quote by C.S. Lewis we've been mentioning, he says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Again, family, this world is not our home. Then in verse 6, the angel there tells John, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. This statement, faithful and true, it's repeated four times throughout the book of Revelation. It's even one of the names of Jesus Christ in Revelation 19.11. 
It tells us that he saw heaven open and behold a white horse and him who sat on him was called faithful and true. You see, the angel is here telling John, look, I know this sounds amazing. I know this looks amazing. I know others may mock you. Others may point that it's just a crutch that you're holding on to. Others may tell you it's too good to be true. But John, everything I've told you, everything you've seen, it's faithful and true. John, these words that you're writing, John, these words that Christians and the world will read for years and years and centuries and centuries, it's all trustworthy. It's all genuine. It's all legitimate. Again, the just shall live by faith. Faith in heaven, faith in Christ, faith in his word. So I I hope you've been stirred this morning. I hope that there's a hunger and a longing within you for heaven. A thirst and a desire to see God. So I think it's important to just look at a handful of scriptures before we close this morning. That if we desire, if anyone here desires to one day see God, we should pay attention to what Scripture tells us. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, John tells us, Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor known Him. John here, he's not talking about sinless perfection or that we become perfect when we're abiding in Jesus Christ. He's talking about the man and the woman that is a part of Jesus Christ. The man or the woman that becomes the bride of Christ does not stay in a state of habitual sin. That if we really are abiding in Jesus Christ, we're plugged into the vine. And if we're plugged into the vine, we will bear much fruit. But if our life is sin daily and weekly and monthly and yearly, the same thing over and over and over again, You've neither seen God, nor do you truly know Him. Again, important to know what Scripture says. In 3 John chapter 1, verse 11, it tells us, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Family, what are we imitating? What are we imitating? Are we imitating what is good or are we imitating what is evil? Because if we're imitating what is evil, if we are doing and practicing evil, John, once again here, is warning us, he who does evil has not seen God. Now again, what are we imitating this week, right? We come to the scripture, December, right? October 30th and 31st, right? What are we imitating What has the fear of man caused to transpire in our homes that we are literally imitating what is evil? And we're downplaying it. We're making light of death. Should we be making light of death? Or should we be telling our kids more and more, this is a serious matter. Darkness, demons, doctrines of demons, son, daughter, these are serious matters. We shouldn't imitate this. We should imitate what is good. We should be practicing what is good. Again, be careful with this. I don't think any of our kids have fake arsenic bottles in their playroom, right? Let's just imitate death, right? What are we imitating in our lives? What are we practicing? He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Proverbs, not Proverbs, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 tells us, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which No one will see the Lord. What are we pursuing? What are we pursuing? Not just money, not just power, not just prestige, not just whatever you fill in the blank. Are we pursuing holiness? Is that the pursuit of our lives? Not just happiness and the American dream, but are we pursuing holiness? God, I'm not perfect, but tomorrow I want to be just a little bit more like you. God, in a week from now, I want to look a little bit more like you. And God, a year from now, I want to look a little bit more like you. Again, if we've been saved, we've been predestined to look more and more like Jesus Christ. Our sin, our evil, our every part of us that's not like God should be slowly but surely whittling away. And we should be looking more and more like Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3, we'll close here. Worship team, if you can come up. 
1 John 3, 1 through 3, and what a great portion of Scripture to meditate on. It tells us, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. Is this hope within us that we are going to see God face to face one day? Is that hope within us? That one day we're going to be like him. One day we're going to know him. One day we're going to see him as he is. John's telling us that if we have this hope in him, it's going to purify us. We're going to be more and more holy. And like we read in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. May we be praying that, Lord, change my heart. Psalm 51, Lord, create in me. God, I have nothing good to bring to the table. Lord, you have to create in me a clean heart. And the only spiritual purifying force in all of this universe is the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why the only thing that can purify our lives, the only thing that can purify our hearts, is to come to Jesus Christ by faith in his death, in his resurrection, taking on my sin and my place and my judgment. That's the only thing that can purify us. And that we have to constantly be coming back to that purification process. That sanctification process belongs in the life of every single son and daughter of God. So hey, let's all stand. We'll close in worship. If you don't know that you know that you know that you're going to be there in heaven one day, I encourage you to come up front and pray with one of the pastors. Maybe you're realizing you've completely lost focus on heaven. You're just consumed with the things here on earth, maybe consumed with the news, consumed with the ups and downs, the highs and lows. Lord, forgive me. Help me get my mind on the things above and not on the things of the earth.